This morning we will continue in our series looking at September in the Psalms. We are walking through uh, different Psalms. And today, if you open up to the very first page in Psalms, that's where we're going to be. Psalm chapter 1. Psalm chapter 1. And this wisdom psalm basically functions as an introduction to the entire book of Psalm. Its theme is as big as the whole Bible because it tells of people, parts, and ultimate destinations. And Psalm 1 is a wisdom psalm that focuses on God's word. God's blessing on those who obey it and meditate on it, and God's ultimate judgment on those who rebel against it. Wisdom Psalms also wrestle with the problem of evil in the world and why God permits the prosperity of the wicked who reject his law. Now, the Psalms encourage individuals as well as the community of God's people to live for God's glory. That's what the book of Psalms is all about, living for the glory of God. And listen, many people today say, you deserve this. You ever heard somebody say that? You deserve this. <sighs> we got to be careful, you know. That is a very secular or world view of blessing. Because if you think about it, what we deserve, we deserve punishment in hell for our sins. That's what we deserve. People say, oh, you deserve this. Oh, no, I don't get what I deserve. I was an enemy of God. I was far from him. I chose self over a savior. And, and when, I do, when, I, when I did that, listen, there was, no, there was no place for me then for hell. But yet when God, through his power and his Holy Spirit, spoke unto my heart and drew me unto his son, and I confessed him as Lord and believed in my heart that God raised his son from the dead, I was saved. I have a different destination from now on out. Because of God's working in my life and through my life. And when I lay down my life for his because he laid down his life for mine, I'm saved. I'm eternally his. I have nothing else to fear. That song that we just sang talked about he pities all his children. And he pities me. Thank God he pitied me. Because if not, man, I'd be in a heap of trouble. Right? We'd all be in a heap of trouble. But as scripture as we look at today, we will see that we are those, we are those who, when we have confessed Christ as Lord, we are blessed. We are a blessed people. And we are blessed by God and for God. And blessing comes through our wise choice, through our, uh, through our wise choices, let me say that correctly. Our outcomes of those choices and the eternality of those choices. That's where our blessings come from. So if we open up, if you've got your copy of God's Word, I'm going to read from chapter 1 of the book of Psalms, reading chapter 1. There's only six short verses. So if you will, it'll be on the screen so you follow along in your copy of God's Word. It says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law he meditates day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. The godly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the, of the ungodly shall perish. So as we look at this 
text today, verses 1, 1 and 2, I've entitled, Blessings Come Through Choices. Or wise choices, wise choices. Blessings come through wise choices. You can make choices and blessings may not come through them. But blessings come through wise choices. Now listen, uh, when I put that in there, April, you just put them up there. Don't worry about what's on my notes because as I was going through that in my office this week and putting those in there, I was like, I like these better. So if I read them from my paper, these are the more updated ones actually up here on the screen. So wise choices is my first, uh, my first set of verses, verses 1 and 2. And those verses say, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. Now listen, there's no way you're going to be able to do the first three things if you don't do the second two things. The second two things really should come first, but the way the psalmist writes this, is the way I'm just going to walk it out. So there's five choices in this first, in the first two verses. There's five choices that we've got to make for our lives to be blessed. Five choices. Now, number one, you're not going to make any of those choices apart from a relationship with Jesus Christ. So you've already made one choice prior to these five choices, okay? So you've got to have a relationship with Jesus Christ or else you're not going to care about any of the rest of this stuff. It's not going to matter to you. There's no value to it. But here we see this, and, and the psalmist knows about Israel. They know about the covenants that have come before. Uh, God, through his sovereign knowledge, knows about the covenants that will come uh, throughout his word. But God's covenant with Israel made it clear that he would bless their obedience and judge their disobedience. The word blessed is actually Asher, which is the name of one of Jacob's sons. And it's plural, it's, it means, oh, the happinesses, or oh, the blessednesses. Boy, that's a, that's a tongue twister. As I was reading through that this week, I was like, man, that's a, oh, the happinesses. That means that's pretty happy, right? You know, when you're adding all them S's in there, you're pretty happy. Oh, the blessednesses, that's the blessings of the blessed. And so there's a lot to that. The person being described here met the conditions, and therefore God blessed him. If we want God's blessings, we too must meet the conditions. And listen, Psalms, Psalms 1 appropriately opens with this statement, blessed is the man. Because, if honestly, like I said, the, the, the latter two parts, delighting in the law of the Lord and meditating on, the, on his law day and night, is going to lead you to be able to make the choices on the first three things. That's, that's the way you'll be a blessed person. And blessedness is, is not deserved, it's a gift of God. Blessedness is a gift of God. So as we look through these five things, five choices, if you will, and I know that I put that as a sub-point up there on the screen, but there's five choices in, the, in our lives that we've got to make. The first one is choosing not to walk in the counsel of the ungodly. You've got to make that choice. And as a blessed individual, because you've called on Christ, you're going to make that choice. You're going to make that choice. In, in the blessed man's worldview, his ethical life and his moral decisions are no longer dictated by the godless. The godless are not going to be your influencers. The holy word of God is going to be your influencer. Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, and God the Father, through an intimate relationship with him, through a time of prayer and a time of Bible study, he will be your influencer. It ain't going to be somebody on TikTok that you go to and watch. 
I know they call them influencers. Oh boy, and they do influence a lot of people. But the greatest influencer is the Word of God. If you'll just get in it. You know good and well you get in your Facebook. You know good and well you get into your Instagram. You get into your TikTok. And you get into your Snapchat. You know you get into it. Get into the Word of God. Let that be the influencer of your life. Don't let it just, don't let these external social media things be the influencer of your life. Find godly wisdom. Find people in the church that, that have lived a life. Now listen, nobody's perfect, okay? Nobody's perfect. So I'm not trying to put anybody on too high of a pedestal. Nobody in here is Jesus. But listen, we've got people that have lived a good life, that have tried their best in everything that they know to do to live a life that brings honor and glory to God. Go to them. Ask them how they, how they have lived for Christ. Let that be the one that influences you, not the ungodly. The blessed person will not go to the ungodly people for direction and advice. Listen, how do you find godly people to ask for counsel and insight? How do you do that? You attend church. You attend Sunday school. You build relationships within the local body of believers. You call the church family. And although you may find some counsel through differing, like I said, media platforms, the greatest avenue for godly counsel is the Word of God. And this passage today points to the fact that the blessed man will avoid ungodly counsel because there's no need for it. There's no need for it. And when you have the eternal counsel of the Creator of all things, counsel from the creation is unnecessary. Counsel from the creation is unnecessary. The ungodly are people who are willfully and persistently evil. Willfully and persistently evil that's what it talks about when it says walks not in the counsel of the ungodly and this word ungodly carries a terrible heart of an individual ungodly means wicked guilty in the wrong criminal transgressor in the most basic of meanings that's what this word ungodly means and this description means that they're enemies not only of god but of the people of god this is who the ungodly is these are, there's people out there like this today. Some of you probably saw on the news this week. Consider some of the most recent news. as a 19-year-old male riding around Memphis just randomly shooting people. Randomly shooting people. Think about Birmingham. Not, I don't, not this weekend, but last weekend. There were eight people shot over the weekend. And a lot of that they, they attributed to gang violence. Listen, there are ungodly people out there. But listen, ungodly people aren't just tied to the end of a, a weapon. Ungodly people are tied to their tongues. Ungodly people are tied to their hearts. Because the Bible says from the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So listen, ungodliness doesn't, doesn't flesh out all the time as someone shooting a gun. Ungodliness doesn't always flesh out in passing a law that says you could kill a baby up until the time they come out of a woman's womb. I mean, it's, it's, it's ungodly as those who will spread gossip in amongst the church. That are trying to thwart the work of the Holy Spirit, trying to thwart the work of God inside His kingdom. That's ungodliness too. Probably of the greatest sort, really. That's a problem. So it's not just out there, it's in here too. So we've got to be mindful of that. We've got to be mindful of that. Who walks in the counsel of the ungodly. So what that means is you better be careful in who you're bending your ear to. You better be careful who you're bending your ear to. Nor stands in the path of sinners. The blessed man or woman 
The blessed person, his identity, her identity, and her standing and lifestyle are no longer determined by those in rebellion against God. The path of sinners can be understood to mean their course of life or mode of action. The word is most often used metaphorically to refer to the pathways of one's life, suggesting a pattern of life. So what this is saying, he don't, he don't stand in the path of sinners. He don't stand in the, uh, in the course of life or the mode of action of those who are sinners. You're not just following along. You're not just one of the crowd. You know, uh, as a youth pastor for years, you know, I talk about you've got to quit following the crowd. You, you've got to be set apart. Be different. It's okay to be different. But be different for God, not be different for the sake of being different. Be, set, be different for Jesus. Because everybody's going, the, I say everybody, the vast majority of our culture is going this direction. And it says, uh, nor stands in the path of sinners. Now, when I think about this, we, we use the language of taking a stand. To take a stand doesn't mean that you're just going along with the flow. To take a stand says, you know what, I see you're going. But you know what, I'm, I'm going to turn away from that. And I'm going to take a stand. I'm going to say that's not right. And I'm going to go the way that's, that I should go. I'm going to go the way of the righteous. I'm going to go the way of the Lord. And you abandon this whole thing. You say, I, I'm going to take a stand. And I'm going to make this choice. I'm going to choose not to stand in the path of sinners. And sinners are those who miss the mark of God's standards. Now, we know that. You've probably heard that plenty of times. you heard it's an archery phrase about missing the mark. That's what it means to, to sin. But listen, this, this means more than that. Sinners are those who miss the mark of God's standards and just don't care that they miss the mark of God's standards. It's one thing to be a sinner saved by grace when you miss the mark of Christ. You're convicted. You're convicted. Man, Lord, I, forgive me. I repent. I come before you, Lord. And you don't have to do that here. You can do that in your car. You could do that in your, in your office. You could do that in your workspace. You could do that in your house. It don't matter. But you come to the realization, I have missed the mark. I've sinned against you, God. And you come before him and you ask for forgiveness. There's a difference of those who are sinners and saved and those who are just sinners apart from God. We've been shown grace and we should be able to go before God and not live in fear of who we're going before. But those that are lost have got to realize, listen, he's a mighty and powerful God. If you were in Sunday school this morning, you heard there in that one verse, it talked about he made the mountains and he did all these different great things. And he says, prepare to meet your God. Prepare to meet your God. I've given you all these opportunities to turn. I've given you all these opportunities to turn. I caused no rain to come on the land. I caused... Rain to come on this field, and I let the other field wither. And I did this on these people. I shut out your entire city from having no food, but I gave a little food to the communities. Your people had to go from this city over to that city just to get a little water, but they weren't quite satisfied. But yet you still didn't return to me. You didn't repent. Some of you may be in that place today. You're like, God, I don't know why. You just give me so little. You never do this for me. You never do that. Well, maybe it's because God's saying, stop going the way of the sinner. Stop going the way of the sinner and come back to me. Because if not, I'm going to show you grace for a while, just as it talked about there in Amos chapter 4. But then it's going to be too late. And I'm going to put my foot down and my grace will be extended to you no longer. Prepare to meet your God. The day's coming for those that are ungodly, for those that are sinners. And then the, 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 the third choice, choosing not to sit with those who are scornful. So the blessed person 
neither learns nor judges from the perspective of those bearing the acid authority of cynicism and pride. Those that are scornful are filled with cynicism and pride. The scornful are those who make light of God's laws and ridicule that which is sacred. That's who the scornful are. You ever met somebody like that? You try to talk to them about Jesus and all they do is mock him. All they do is ridicule your faith. That's the scornful. So don't sit in the seat with them. That means that you're so comfortable with them that you could just sit down and just do whatever. You know, it's one thing to, to reach out and be a, to be a witness to people that are in this. But it's a whole other thing to sit down with them and hang out with them. To be their, their old buddies, their, their chums, you know. No. Because what's going to happen is this. It's a whole lot easier to pull somebody down than it is to pull somebody up. You start hanging around with folks, the scripture tells us that bad companies corrupts good character. You start hanging around with the wrong folks, don't, don't be surprised for too much longer, you're the wrong folks. That's going to happen. You better be careful and wise. Make a wise choice. The wise person, the blessed person, chooses not to sit with those who are scornful. This primary notion of this language of sitting refers to remaining or abiding in a given location. So the psalmist says, the one who is blessed delights in the law and meditates on the law day and night, which gives him or her the ability to remove themselves from situations of remaining or abiding in the efforts of making light of God's law and ridiculing God and his ways. The one who is blessed, the one who is meditating and delighting on the law of the Lord will say, I can't do this. You know, I can stay with you so long. We could do this together. I can. The problem is so many Christians today, they're no longer the influencers. They're the influencee. They're being influenced more than they're influencing others. Oh, I don't want to hurt somebody's feelings. Oh, I don't want to do this. Listen, it ain't about, it's not that the goal is to hurt somebody's feelings. The goal, the goal is to share truth and love and grace. It's not that you're going out there with the purpose to, you know, 300, kick them in the chest, oh, you know, with the word of God. It's, it's, it's not that. But the fact is, you speak on truth and you stand strong. You know what you believe. And you say, listen, I, you know, I see the choice that you're making. I see that, that you're walking in the counsel of the ungodly. And, and I just want to encourage you, you need to quit listening to them. I see that you're following the crowd. You're walking in the path of sinners. Listen, I'm just begging you, please, step out of line. Step out of line. Oh, you, you're sitting down with them. You're thinking, you're, you're so comfortable with them that you're uncomfortable with me who's doing the right thing. You know, you, you, you got you to gotta make that choice at some point. You got to make that choice at some point to say, I can't do this no more. So you got to choose to delight in the word of the Lord. And if you'll choose to delight in the word of the Lord, it'll, it'll give you all the confidence and power that you'll be able to do to say no to those three things. You'll choose no to those three things. Choosing to delight in the word of the Lord. To delight expresses all that makes the, the man or woman of God happy. Blessed all through the Bible in the vast majority of the, of the original meanings means to be happy. Happy is the man who doesn't walk in the counsel of the ungodly. You ever walk with a bunch of people that just constantly get in trouble, and then you wonder, man, I, man, why does my life stink? You know what I mean? Like, why, 
Why does nothing ever go right me? Look around you. Look around you. One pastor that I've listened to, he does a leadership podcast. He says, you're the sum of the five people that you hang out with the most. You look around to the five people you hang around with the most, and you're going to figure out what, what your character is going to look like eventually. Be mindful about who you're hanging out with. The law is more than... The law is going to be more than his delight. The law is going to be his chief desire. Now listen, the law, when it's written in the Bible, you know, for those of us who, who understand the Bible, many of us say, oh, well, the law means the first five books of the Old Testament. Yes, that's true. That's the books of law. But this, it's also a common reference to any scripture that was given as well. So it's not just that you're knowing the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. This is also about knowing the word of the Lord in whole. It's knowing the whole word, the whole counsel of the Lord. So that you're not walking in the way of the ungodly. That you're not um, listening to the counsel of the ungodly. That you're not just standing in the path of sinners or sitting in the seat of the scornful. You need to make that choice to delight in the word of God. Warren Wiersbe says this. He says, the way we treat the Bible is the way we treat Jesus Christ. For the Bible is his word to us. The way we treat the Bible is the way we treat Jesus Christ. If you don't dust it off till Sunday morning, you probably ain't dusted Jesus Christ very, off very much in your life during the week. That's a hard pill to swallow right there. I'm just telling you. If that's all the time you're picking up your Bible during the week is to come to church on Sunday, basically you're doing that for a show for somebody here. I, it burns. It burns, I'm telling you. But it's saying nothing but the truth. We've got to be picking that Bible up. The Word tells us, I have written your Word upon my heart so that I will not sin against God. That's the reason why we need to be picking up the Word of God. I don't want to displease my Father. I mean, I just preached through a whole series about men, women, children, parents. If there's one thing that as a, as a, as a son that I don't want to do, I, don't, I really don't want to displease my earthly father. I surely don't want to displease my heavenly father. So the fact is, the right attitude, delight, will lead to the right action, meditation. If we delight in a person, you know what? We want to be with him or her. If we delight in a song, we want to sing it, right? If we delight in a book, we want to read it. And if we delight in God's law, we'll want to meditate on it. It's just how things work, right? You want to be around somebody, you're going to figure out how to be with them, right? Hey, let's go to lunch. Let's go to supper. Let's whatever. If it's a guy and a girl date, let's get married. You know, whatever it may be. You know, it's, it's, it's like that. You know what I mean? You want to be with them, you want to be with them more. If you want to be in God's Word, you're going to want to be with it more. If you don't want to be with them, you'll be like, I'm going to ghost them. <laughs> they text me. No, they ain't text me. You know, they called me. Let it go to voicemail. I'll get back to it three weeks from now. You know, whatever it may be, right? But if you truly love the Lord, you're going to get in it. You ain't going to ghost the Word of God. You're going to get into it. And you're going to love it. You're going to delight in it. And it's going to be your chief desire. And the last choice, number five, choosing to meditate on the Word of the Lord consistently. To meditate in the basic meaning is to murmur or utter under one's voice. Now, sometimes we just want to, you know, when people mutter under their voice, sometimes you're like, man, I just want but this is a good mutter under your voice, right? 
If you got a son or a daughter, you know what I'm talking about. You've heard them talk back under their voice. You just, boy, I just want to slap. Anyway, you know what I mean? I mean, it's, it's just frustrating. I did it to my parents from time to time, and boy, I was scared of my daddy. Don't get me wrong. It didn't take but a couple of times. But here is a good way to do it, okay? Here's a good way to mutter under your voice, okay? And it, it's, this is to recite the passage back to oneself over and over. And the Jewish people did this. They did this. They'd get it in the Word of God and they'd, blessed is the man who walks. The... Listen, over this past week as I've been studying this, I've been trying to memorize this whole chapter. It's really not that hard. It's really not that hard. And I know I've messed up a couple of times, especially there on verse 3. I couldn't figure out that whose leaf shall also not wither. I struggled right there, but the rest of it I got down pretty good. But if, we, if we'll meditate on the Word of God, God's going to bless us. And you know, this, this meditating, it signifies the filling of one's mind with the biblical text and careful consideration of both what the text means and how it applies. In the Bible, meditation is often equivalent to the term study. That's what the Moody commentary tells us. That in the Bible, meditation is often equivalent to the term study. Now, as I was looking through this, I thought, you know, I've always heard it said that for retention, the best way to retain something is to read it, to speak it, and to hear it. Now, I think there's one more, but I know those are three of them. But as I was studying up and I looked, uh, I searched online about, about retention. Well, there's a 50-50 learning rule. Some of you maybe have heard of this. The theory behind the 50-50 rule is to retain the information you should learn for half the time and share what you've learned the other half. This means committing 50% of your time to explaining, summarizing, or teaching the information. You'll need to engage with the material enough to explain in a way that others will understand the context. This is why teaching helps you to retain information. So when we think about this for a minute, we are disciples to make disciples, right? We disciple to make disciples. And we are disciples to make disciples. This 50-50 rule. It's never intended for someone to sit in a Sunday school class and never move beyond just, just to be a participant. The goal is to take what you learn and to teach it again. Whether it be in your home, to your kids, whether it be in the workplace, if you start a small group, because you can do that. Off the clock, on, during a break, or before work, or after work. It's never God's intention for us just to be a bunch of sponges that absorb. We are to be those that put out as well. It's never God's intention for us just to absorb. It's, it's for us to practice. And I'm going to tell you something. If you ever want to really know about how to do something, how to teach, prepare as though you're going to teach. Prepare as though you're going to teach. And you'll find out. It's like I've always said, in, in seminary, I learned more from having to read the books to write the papers than I did from anything else in class. You'd have to read a lot of these books and then you'd have to write a paper on it. So it was, it was intake and output. It was intake, it was input and output, if you want to put it that way. It was input and output. But if I never had to do an output, it would probably just go in my brain and out the other. That's why kids don't learn much of nothing in high school. Because all they're doing is taking it in for a moment to pass a test. They're not applying it anywhere in their life. In the Word of God, the goal of the Word of God is not just to take it in to pass a test. Check box, check box, check box. You take it in to apply it to life. And if you never apply it to life, you'll never see the value in it. 
You'd be like, why do I go to church? Why do I go to Sunday school? Why do I come on Wednesday nights? Why do I do this? Have you fleshed it out? Have you fleshed it out? In order to put this into practice, you could try studying materials such as an online course. This is going back to this 50-50 learning rule. Summarizing the points and sharing them with a colleague, this will force you to think and result in better learning retention. And then there's another one called spaced repetition. Whereas engaging with the material is crucial for learning retention, repetition is also important. Spaced repetition is based on the idea that if you repeat an intake of the information over a period of time, you're more likely to remember it. I've encouraged many of you. There's, a, there's an app that you can get on your phone. And it's called Fighter Verses. Right here I have it. All right, I can open that up. It's going to ask me. There are six verses scheduled for review today. So I can hit review the verses. And I can review those verses by doing quick blanks, reciting it aloud, typing the first letter, typing word bank, and select. There's six Bible verses that I've memorized. So let's just say I do the word bank. All right, I'm going to do level three. All right. Um, let's see, that's he. He. Who dwells, this is all, he who dwells in the shelter of the Most High. I'm not going to do this whole thing because I'm just not going to. Although, if you know my ADD or OCD, OCD is a better word. I'd want to finish that thing, but it's driving me crazy. But I would fill all that in. And it would say, you passed 18 out of 18 or 16 out of 16 on to the next verse. And I'd hit on to the next verse. And, and, and I have to do that every week. It caused me to review the, the old memory verses that I was memorizing so that I could start the next verse tomorrow. That's spaced repetition so that I can memorize those verses. Listen, if you haven't downloaded that app, I'd recommend it. Fighter Verses. It's $2.99. Once, once somebody downloads it in your family, everybody else could download it for free. Okay? Everybody else could download it for free. All right? So there's spaced repetition. Our brains learn better when we space out information. It's more effective than trying to retain mass amounts of information together. We have one service on Sunday mornings for me to preach the Word of God to y'all. Do you really think? Now, I know I y'all are very gracious to me and give me a lot more time than what, I normally, than what a normal preacher gets. But when you think about that, there is no way that, that for the whole week that you're going to get everything you need from this sermon. The only way I think that you're going to do that is if you go back to the podcast, which probably last week's is not updated to the site yet. But uh, if you were to go back to Facebook and watch it over and over and over again, you might say that might work, but I would not, I would not encourage that. You'd get sick of hearing me. <laughs> what I'd recommend you do is get in the Word of God for yourself. Meditate on the Word of God. Delight in the law of the Lord. Do those things. We've got our Bible reading plan, the F-260 Bible reading plan. Hopefully you're still going through that. You didn't forget about it or sit it to the wayside. Hopefully you're still going through that. Miss Shirley was showing me that, uh, I think it was Miss Shirley who was showing me she, she's gotten all, all the way through it. Or no, or was it Miss Maxine? I can't remember. But somebody showed me, they're like, look, I've got one more day left. And I was like, you've been flying through this thing, you know, that completed the whole year Bible reading. I was, I was impressed. It's awesome. But our brains learn when we space things out. This allows time for the... Now listen, this is a little scientific part to it, okay? This allows time for the neural connection to solidify and prevents new information from taking the place of the old information. Repetition is therefore important for learning. Why is it that we tell children 
just about every year, the same Bible stories. The thing is, is it's not so much that we need to tell them the Bible stories. We need to tell them the why of the Bible stories. The why of the Bible stories. Listen, it's great that kids know that, that David went out and, and picked up five smooth stones and struck Goliath and, and knocked him to the ground. Woo, that's a cool story, man. It makes for a great movie, if you will. But, but what's the point? Why? What's the why of the story? It's to, show that, it's to show that David went out in the power of God, not in his own power. Goliath went out in his own power. And the why of the story is this, is that God is the power. And we're not David. God's the power. We go out in the power of the Lord. We go out in the power of the Lord. We tell them the why. The flood. What's the point of the flood? Oh, God did this and Noah obeyed. All right, what's the why of this? It's to show that even in the midst of hardship and mockery, you do what's right. You do what the Lord says. Noah did what the Lord told him to do. He was mocked and ridiculed for years while he built that ark. But yet he did what God told him to do. So much of the Old Testament is about obeying God even when you're mocked and ridiculed. Today's society says if you're mocked and ridiculed, cry and curl up in a corner and, and blame somebody for it. No. Continue doing what God said to do. Continue doing what God says to do. Be, be wise. What is the why of the story? So, Jesus emphasized the truth of becoming disciples requires these disciplines. It requires the disciplines of choosing not to walk in the counsel of the ungodly. It's choosing not to stand in the path of sinners. Choosing not to sit in the seat of the scornful. It's choosing to delight in the law of the Lord. And choosing uh, to meditate on the law of the Lord day and night. John chapter 8 verse 31 and 32 says... If you abide, that means to continue or dwell or remain. In my word, you are my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. You are my disciples indeed if you abide in my word. Now granted, we know the disciples were walking with Christ, so they were taking it in firsthand. But here we have God's word. We got to meditate and delight on it. And people will know that we're his disciples because we'll be making the choices that are in the first verse because we're meditating and delighting on the law of the Lord. Walking in the counsel of God is the, is the call to Bible study, to scripture memorization, to a daily time of personal devotion in the Word of God. That's what Williams wrote in the communica Communicator's Commentary. If you look there in verses 3 through 5, if you look there in verses 3 through 5, Blessings come from the outcome of those wise choices. Blessings come from the outcome of those wise choices. What is the outcome? He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf shall also not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. So they're blessed like healthy trees. The, the blessed are placed in locations for their good and God's glory. The blessed are placed in in locations for their good and God's glory. God has you where you are right now for a reason. God has you where you are right now for a reason. But the question is, are you meditating on his word to determine what it is to do where you currently are? Blessed are the, the, um, the, the blessed are productive and fruitful. 
in their appropriate seasons of life. You will produce in various ways, and that may not come from your most common form of giftedness when you're in various seasons of life. In different seasons of life, you're going, you're going to produce differently. The blessed are seasonally supplied. You see that that brings forth its fruit in its season. In whichever season of life you find yourself, whether it's school or college or single life or young married life or middle-aged, middle-aged married, whether you're older in age, single or married, God has a purpose for you in the season of your life that you're in. God has a purpose for you. Until the day you take your last breath, there's a reason why God's still got you here. The only way you're going to know it is to meditate in God's Word and delight on the law of the Lord. That's the way you're going to know it. The blessed are adequately sustained. Look at what it says there. Whose leaf leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. The blessed are adequately sustained. God will meet your needs. Now, he may not meet your wants. He may not meet your wants, but God will meet your needs. You know, sometimes we just might have our needs too elevated. We might have our needs too elevated, and, and therefore we're confused why God's not meeting them. We, you know, there's so many things. I need a new iPhone 14. No, you don't. You don't need that. You want it. It'd be nice. But you don't need it. There's a lot of things we think we need. Oh, I, I need to have, I need to have a, a TV service so that I can watch every football game that comes on every network there is, Pac-12, Big Ten, ACC, SEC. You don't need that. You may want it. <laughs> you know, I'd want to raise my hand. But you don't need it. We've got to be careful as to what we think we need versus what God knows we need. We need to be mindful of that. And listen, that's, the blessed are like healthy trees, though. The blessed are placed in locations for their good and God's glory. The blessed are productive and fruitful in their appropriate seasons of life. The blessed are seasonally supplied. <clears throat> and the blessed are adequately sustained. But listen, verse 4 tells us the ungodly are not so. They're not like a tree. They're not like a tree. They're like chaff, which the wind drives away. Therefore, the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners, nor shall sinners stand in the congregation of the righteous. The ungodly are like chaff. You know, many of you may be like me. I don't know nothing about farming. You know, (laughs) I know nothing about farming. I mean, I've done a couple of raised beds, but but nothing, but nothing to the extent of farming. Uh, my grandfather kept a, kept a field behind what we used to call the Dixie Mart. It was a convenience store there in our little community where I grew up. And uh, he kept a garden back there, a big old garden. But I know nothing about it. All I knew is I'd go out there and I'd help my papa uh, from time to time, uh, dig it up a little bit, but use the time I was so small I got in the way. So he'd get out there with his tractor that had a big concrete block on the front of it. It was weird. I mean, it was like a concrete block. It was like this wide. It was just a solid piece of concrete mounted on the front of that on that tractor i'm sure it had a purpose but i had no idea what it was but anyway i don't know much anything about farming needless to say that so anyway the god ungodly are like chaff and chaff is the husk of grain that gets blown away with the wind scripture often talks about 
uh, those who are absent of faith uh, and they have no security. They're absent of security as well. And they're like chaff. Jesus speaks to that in the parable on those who build their house on the sand. There's no foundation. There's no root for them. So when the winds come, it blows them away. Same thing with chaff. When the wind comes, it blows them away. Paul speaks to this in Ephesians 4.14, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning and craftiness and their deceitful plotting. We shouldn't be like that. We've got to have a grounding. We can't be just tossed around to and fro. We need, we need to have something that grounds us. It's the Word of God. It's what grounds us. In contrast to the righteous who are like trees, the ungodly are dead, rootless, blown about, and destined for fire. The wicked of this world seem rich and substantial. But from God's point of view, they are cheap, unsubstantial, and destined for judgment. And the chaff, this is the thing about chaff, chaff is so near the grain. Chaff is so near the grain. But in the end, the two are separated, and the chaff is blown away or burned. John the baptizer speaks about the inability of the wicked to stand in Matthew 3.12. It's wrote like this. His winnowing fan, talking about Jesus the Messiah, his winnowing fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, and he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. So when we read this next portion of scripture verse 5 therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous what is that saying it's saying this that due to their choosing to forsake God's graciously extended hand they will have nothing to stand on in the presence of the holy one they have nothing to stand on they have no root nothing and you've seen those trees that have shallow roots they just tip over a whole lot of rain comes through, the ground gets weak, and they just tump right on over. I mean, we live in Walker County. We've seen plenty of tornadoes and everything else. You've seen that. But yet you know those trees that have those deep roots, that it takes a lot if, if, if anything has blown them over. It's because their roots go deep. We've got to go deep in the Word of God. We've got to stand firm on the Word of God. If not, we will be tossed about and blown about, and we will be like chaff who gets blown away and then caught up and sent on to, to the unquenchable fire. We need to be the righteous. We need to be the ones who follow after Christ. We can sit and complain about the ungodly. But listen, we can complain about the sinners and the scornful. But I want you to understand this. We are to compel them to come to Christ. We're to compel them to come to Christ. We just don't go, well, too bad. Too bad you're going to hell. No, no, no. It is It is terrible. That there's the potential that they may go to hell. But there's the beauty and the glory and the wonder that they potentially could go to heaven. What are we doing? Are we leaving people to their own devices? And saying, ah, there's no hope. Yes, there is hope. There's still Jesus. Don't abandon somebody. Don't, don't leave them. Don't, don't think there's no hope. There's always hope. As long as there's a heartbeat, there is hope. There is always hope. We compel them to turn from their wickedness. And, and that will, without Christ, inevitably lead to their destruction in the end if we don't share the gospel with them. 
Were we not once those same people? Let us not forget, we too were once enemies, ungodly, sinners, and scornful. Your own change should compel you to desire change for them. If in your own life, if you're not compelled from the change, you might not have been changed. But if you are compelled, know that there are eternal blessings for those who have chosen well. You need to know that. Look at verse 6, closing out. Eternal blessings for those who chose well. The Lord knows the way of the righteous, and that is eternal life. And the Lord also knows the ungodly. He also knows the way of the ungodly, and that's eternal death. For those that are uh, the way of the righteous, the, the word yada, the Lord knows, means to know, to have an intimate relationship with. Here the psalmist uses a verb form that indicates the Lord keeps on knowing the way of the righteous. His eyes upon them, his ear is open to them, and in Christ his spirit abides with them forever. Their security, both temporal and eternal, is not in the way itself, but in the Lord who communes with them on the way. Martin Luther once said, The way I do not know, but well do I know the guide. The way I do not know, but well do I know the guide. And in, in, in regard to the ungodly, they're captive to their sin. They're governed by the world. The ungodly have taken away that leads to death. The Lord offers no protection to those who are not reconciled to him. Rather, their end is destruction. At this point. Those who do not produce fruit will come under the judgment of his words. I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Matthew 7, 23. Now listen. There's a destination both for the ones who have chosen well and for those who have not chosen well. There's a destination for each one of them. The very call of blessing, however, precipitates a crisis. Who can avoid the counsel of the ungodly in our secular society? Who can meditate on the word of God day and night? I don't know about you, but I need my sleep. I can't do that all the time. But who can meditate on the word of God day and night? Who can be fruitful? And as that says, their leaf shall not wither. Who can be fruitful and evergreen? Certainly we cannot fulfill this high calling. But take heart. One can and does. One can and does. This very calling is fulfilled in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. It is he who lives in perfect communion with the Father. It is he who delights in the word of God. It is he who prospers in all his ways. In Christ, we become the blessed person of Psalm 1. He is the God-man who fulfills the divine demand and incorporates us into the divine life. It is he who gives us his own righteousness. As we live in communion with him, we will be that tree planted and our way will be known to the Lord. And as we live in communion with him, his psalms become our psalms and the road to happiness, to blessing, is ours. Today, can you say you are a blessed person?